Hi, and welcome to the Rocks and Money Podcast. I'm Matt Battielli, your host. Hope you guys are having a great week. Today, we need to talk about oil. And I know some of you out there don't want to hear about it, but look, it's a cyclical commodity and its time has come. Oil is about as hated as it could possibly be. And there are some fundamental changes going on in the U.S. which is going to matter to oil supply and ultimately oil price. So I wanted to talk about it. And, you know, I know it was hated. Uh, I had an assistant who hated oil so much we used to get into fistfights over it. Um, he just didn't want to hear about it. His narrative really was, you know, electric vehicles. It's the thing. <laughs> and and he wasn't the only one. I mean, I was out in Colorado a couple years ago with a mining executive, and he was telling me he had just bought one of the new high-end Teslas. It was like a $100,000 automobile. And he was telling me how it was the wave of the future. And, man... He was so partisan. He didn't get the irony that it was a coal-powered automobile because back then, most of the power coming out of Colorado was coming from the Four Corners coal-fired power plant. And he didn't get the irony that while he was telling me about his really cool snap-your-head-back fancy electric sports car, we were in his Tundra, which got about eight and a half miles to the gallon. (laughs) Oil is a cyclical commodity. That's the fact. Uh, it, it goes up and it goes down. And man, it has been absolutely beaten to death. But the wheels have come off what I used to call the shale miracle. And U.S. production has collapsed. Uh, U.S. production's down two and a half million barrels a day. Slightly more. Two and a half million barrels a day. Which is enormous. It's enormous. And considering that U.S. production makes up more than 12% of global oil production, we are living on borrowed time right this minute. Because when demand returns after the the COVID ends, which it's coming, demand is going to come back. Oil prices are going to rip because 2.8 million barrels a day, it's very hard to replace that much oil supply. And it's not going to come, the, the shale wells are not going to get turned back on because there's no capital. Nobody, nobody wants to talk to the oil industry right now. Nobody wants to lend them money. They're going to have to do it on their own book. Lots of bankruptcies right now, lots of mergers. It is a, a, a sector in consolidation. And at the far side of it is going to be really interesting. But here's the problem. I don't, I don't want to own oil explorers or oil producers right now. I'm I'm because I think there's still a lot of individual company risk in there. A lot of debt, a lot of concerns. And so there are two ways that I want to play the oil industry and I'll get to them down the road. But first I want to talk about the shale miracle and how it came to its end. I've been I've been absolutely entertained. There's a whole uh, subgroup on Twitter. <laughs> They're all the, the shale guys and girls, and, and it's been really hysterically funny to watch them uh, and their gyrations because, you know, shale became just this giant uh, milk cow. And you had, there was a, it was like a, it was, it was really like a con. You know, you had lots of private equity money, lots and lots of private equity money that would come out to West Texas or or not. West Texas might go to them uh, and they'd raise a lot of money and and they'd go out and buy acreage and the, and everybody knew they were coming. 
so that it was a, it was a miracle how suddenly expensive the, this ground. And when you went out to look at this area, these areas in West Texas, there's nothing there but rattlesnakes, an occasional cotton field, you know, some bow-legged, skinny-ass cow. I mean, and and they're paying ten thousand dollars an acre. $15,000 an acre for this ground. Uh, it was just crazy. So, you know, the, the drillers got rich, the landmen got rich, uh, but the investors and the that were buying the companies did not, and the private equity, well, the private equity got absolutely demolished out there. Hundreds of millions, billions of dollars went to money heaven out there. In the form of, you know, uh, steakhouse dinners and, you know, wells that didn't work or underperformed. Um, you know, it was it was actually crazy and it ended badly. That's the problem. Um, when, the, when the pandemic hit, we were already kind of in trouble. I remember going out in, man, 2015, I was out in the Permian Basin and I had lunch with a couple of bankers uh, that I, I knew through a friend of mine out there and they're kind of they were lending money um and at the time i think oil prices were around 60 bucks a barrel and these guys their covenants were at 40 dollars a barrel that was kind of their drop dead oh my gosh we're gonna lose everything if it goes below 40 bucks a barrel that's what they were lending on i'm kind of you know i haven't seen them <laughs> but you know it was sad to go back um even I was back, I was there about a year ago in December of 2019. And, you know, the, what used to be the, you know, the kind of strip full of all the oil rigs, you know, where all, all the guys were buying rigs and fixing rigs and storing equipment and all that stuff basically were junkyards. You know, there was one big old, uh, drilling rig in pieces then the weeds had grown through all the all the links and everything it was just really it was like wow it's this is a this is tough the secret to shale i'm sure you know is that it it's not a conventional oil well or oil field so a conventional oil field if you picture it it's uh, it's like a imagine a, a glass full of ice cubes right and that's that's the ideal oil field that's what I, I was looking for. I learned I learned how to find them when I was in graduate school. Basically, the oil had to come from somewhere else. You wanted a trap. You wanted something that enclosed the liquid on all sides, right? And then you needed it to be relatively open but stable. So that's the imagine the ice cubes are the sand in the in the oil field. And then the oil came from somewhere else. So imagine someone would take a pitcher of iced tea and pour it into that cup that's a conventional oil field you stick straw in there drink it right down right that's a conventional oil field shale was like somebody took an old-fashioned dictionary and soaked it in a pot of tea <laughs> imagine imagine how you know if you've seen a, a book when it gets wet it swells up and it holds all that liquid in there but you can't get it out Right, you can't stick a straw in a book full of liquid and suck it out. You can't do it. So the, the kind of the miracle, this amazing technological advancement was figuring out, and it took computers. I mean, it really did. the The same computer revolution that took a, a conventional hard drive that used to store ten megabytes 
now stores two terabytes, you know, and you can go out and buy it for a hundred bucks at Walmart. Um, that same amazing revolution that miniaturized phones and gave us the internet in our pocket allowed oil drillers to drill so precisely that they could drop a drill bit through three miles of water and hit a hole the size of a basketball. And in the, in the shale patch, what it meant was that you could very accurately drill down into a layer that you wanted to hit. And the layer were, was often, you know, 10 to 20 feet thick. And you could turn the drill bit sideways and drill another mile or two laterally just under the ground and staying right in that. And that was amazing. But then the engineers figured out that it, they could they could split these layers just like because of the, the shale layers are very much like pages in a book. They're very flat laminar layers. And if you injected high pressure fluid in there, sometimes with a little bit of uh, food grade gum, you know, food grade thickener. So it's almost a, a syrupy consistency. You pry those pages open, you can wedge sand grains in there and briefly create a conventional oil field, right? The sand grains prop open the, the pages in the book. And in those gaps that are created, the oil can then leak out. But the problem is with shale wells, the shale layers are soft and they don't want to stay open and they're under a lot of pressure. And so they tend to close up. So what that means is in a conventional oil field, you drill into this oil field and you get a long, slow decline in your oil field typically, right? Years and years of production. But in a shale well, most of the production that you're going to get out of that well is in the first 18 months and then it's done. So the the kind of the hamster wheel that the oil industry got into was you've got to drill and drill and drill and drill hundreds of wells, thousands of wells to keep that production up. But you get a massive amount of oil initially. The flush, what they call the flush production, was really, really strong. And what that did in the U.S. was it... It blew our production up. I mean, if you go back to 2005, we produced about 5 million barrels a day. And the peak happened in November of 2019 in the U.S. That was, our, that was the peak production. We hit 12.9 million barrels a day. So we damn near tripled the amount of oil production in the U.S. from 2005 to 2019. And I would have you recall in 2000 and, well, that period from five to probably 2008 or nine, everyone knew that we were running out of oil. All the easy barrels had, had been found. Matthew, um, oh gosh, I forget his name. Uh, Twilight in the Desert came out about the end of, of uh, Saudi Arabian oil. Peak oil was everywhere. There were groups of people leaving Manhattan to go upstate New York to learn how to farm because they were sure we were going to have to revert to an agrarian uh, a society because we were not going to have any oil anymore. It was, it was manic. It was craziness. And then the shale revolution hit, and now everyone is sure we just we don't need it anymore. It's dumb. It's, it's old technology. It's over. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's a cyclical commodity, and... As far as I can tell, we're still running planes on jet fuel and we're still running tanks on jet fuel or yeah, on jet fuel. We're still running tanks on diesel fuel and we're still driving our cars. I know a lot of you have 
bought electric cars, not a lot, but few, right? But like my friend, the uh, the oil industry CEO or the mining industry CEO who drove his really fancy Tundra and talked about his electric vehicle. If you want to do a road trip, you're not doing an electric car. Or if you are, you're adding hours onto it, depending on how far you need to, to drive. And if you're going to go pick up a bunch of mulch, man, you're not doing that in your Tesla. So there's still a demand. Now, whether or not that demand for oil is is mitigated or gone by 2030 or 2040, as, as a lot of the pundits say, we'll have to wait and see. But as investors in the short term, you need to be looking at oil. And I would direct your attention right out of the gate to a company called Schlumberger, symbols SLB. And these are, Schlumberger is the world-class oil field engineering company. They offer all the services that you could want and they're the highest quality as far as I'm concerned. And these are the, you know, these are, this is a company that I would look for when I was in the oil patch. You know, if I wanted to know, you know, how, how good your fracks were going to be, I wanted to see Schlumberger out there. You know, I wanted to see or hear about them. Um, I've known their reps over the years and, and by and large, they were highly educated, really informed, smart guys on the, at, right out there at the cutting edge of, of what was going on. And they were also worldwide. So when I went to New Guinea uh, and I was in the middle of the jungle going to see this crazy flow test, you know, and I got out there and I looked at the job board to see who the companies were. There's Weatherford and there's Schlumberger, right? That's who you want to see. And if you if you go back and take a look at Schlumberger's stock, it was a $40 stock at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And when COVID hit, it got down to 12 bucks a share. So it got absolutely demolished and then from march to november it kind of described a parabola you know it went from 12 dollars its high was over 22 dollars a share and then by the end of october ish it got down to back around 14 dollars a share and so you know that was kind of the uh, this had to be the bottom we're going to come out of it now nah, we're not going to come out of it our the second wave of covid is coming nobody's going to be driving anywhere it bottomed out well since then, since the end of October, shares have gone on a tear. It's gone from fourteen dollars to twenty three and change, twenty three forty or so. As I as I record this, this is a company where if I were going to speculate in oil, this is one of the first ones that I would take a look at. You know, these guys are they're they're a, a good harbinger of things to come, and they're an engineering company. So if they're gonna if people are gonna drill wells, that's one that you want. That's the company you want to own. Now, here's the other part of this. I am not interested in buying exploration production companies, individual companies right here, right now. And you can certainly write me and tell me I'm, I'm full of baloney. But I, if, if I were going to speculate on EMP companies right now, I'm going to do it in, in an ETF because... There's an enormous amount of individual company risk out there. And there's just, it's very hard to tell which companies are going to blow up or merge. <laughs> and, you're, and, and, you know, a merger right now isn't great because they're, 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 uh, you're not going to make any money on it. But there's a lot of debt. So if you do want to speculate in individual companies, make sure that you know how much debt this company has, how much they owe, you know, in, in how much they have to pay to service that debt. And then when these bonds are coming due, and it's pretty easy to find. If you look at their, their actual quarterly reports or their annual reports, the debt dates are in there. You know, it'll tell you when their bonds are due. That was one of the great things about having a Bloomberg subscription back in the day. You just pull that right up and it was at your fingertips. But that is 
absolutely critical information if you're messing around in the oil and exploration production in the oil companies right now. A better bet to me in this market is if you don't want to go with one of the majors like Exxon or Chevron, buy uh, an ETF, an exploration production ETF, because as the oil price recovers... And it's going to, as the oil price recovers, you're going to get that leverage. The EMP guys are going to get that leverage to price to the price of oil. So they're, you know, they're going to go up several times what the oil price does. And that's, that's the benefit of owning them. But right now, individual company risk terrifies me, but I will tell you this, and we can revisit this in a year, but oil prices are going to be significantly higher, 50% at a minimum by this summer. And it wouldn't shock me if oil prices doubled by the end of 2021, because you can't take 2.8 million barrels a day out of the market and expect that when the demand comes back, oh, well, we'll just modify demand. That's not how demand for oil works. And there's nowhere that you're going to replace those barrels. And I don't think the shale uh, fields are done declining. So it would not surprise me at all uh, to see us fall, in, as, and when I say us, I mean U.S. production, would not surprise me at all to see U.S. production fall below 10 million barrels a day in the near term. And if that happens, oil prices are really going to go up because, you know, the, the, there's, no, there's not much marginal production left. You know, there's, there's Russia, there's Saudi. You're not going to get any out of Venezuela. That's a failed state. Libya is trying to bring their barrels back on, but it's a struggle and it's it's not it, they're they're high risk barrels <laughs> so the one benefit to you know that i've seen to for the oil price for oil production is that the things are calming down in the middle east that's a that's a benefit but the more that you have that antagonism between saudi and iran the riskier those barrels get and when there's a risk of oil supply that's another driver for oil prices so what we do know right now is that that uh, China is soaking up all the oil it can get right now at these prices because they know what I know. And that is when demand comes back post-COVID, holy cow, oil prices are going to rip. So with that, I'm going to say thank you very much for listening. You guys have a great week. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Once again, I need to thank Static in Verona for my entry, my intro and uh, exit music. You can find Static in Verona uh, wherever you source your music. I get it on Apple, iTunes. Thanks again for listening, you guys.